Well, good morning to all of you. I am Russell Cravens. I'm the lead pastor here at Neartown Church. I, along with all of the other leaders at this church, are really happy that you're here. Um, I'm in the third week of a three-part series called What's In It For Me? So look to your neighbor and say, what's in it for me? It's kind of a fun question, right? It's funny to ask in the church. And so the answer to the question, what's in it for me, today is C. So the first week, we saw the what's in it for me. The answer to the question was free. We get freedom in Christ out of Galatians 5. And then last week, we saw the answer to the question, what's in it for me, is we get a we. Ephesians chapter 4, we get a community of people. Well, today, the answer to the question, what's in it for me, is C. So here's the main idea, what I want to drive after. If you believe, and I understand that not all of you believe, but maybe you're wondering, like, okay, if I believe, what's in it for me? If you believe, you will see that every day is an opportunity to demonstrate by your good works God's love in practical ways. That's kind of a long sentence, so I'll say it again. If you believe, you will see that every day is an opportunity to demonstrate by your good works God's love in practical ways. I want you to think about your life in motion. You see, if you believe in what the Bible teaches as good news about who Jesus is and what has happened on your behalf, then your life will move forward with direction and with purpose. I was trying to think of a way to illustrate this. So it occurred to me. I don't want anybody to get alarmed. This is a compound bow. How many, raise your hand if you own one of these. Two girls. Way to go, guys. Thanks a lot. So this is a compound bow. This is used for um, shooting arrows. And um, I thought about this illustration that might help you think about if I believe, I get to see my life as an opportunity to demonstrate the good works that will show God's love in a practical way in this way. You see, this compound bow launches this arrow at a high velocity towards a target. Now, this arrow alone is really worthless. I mean, my best effort to throw this arrow might get it into Kirby, which would not be good, Kirby. I like you. Um, but, But with this bow and the strength of this bow, this arrow can be launched with power, and with precision. So bear with me as I flesh this out a little bit. This bow has sights on it. It has strings on it. When you pull the bow back, it's called a draw. There's a sight on it. And if we were to flesh this illustration out a little bit, the sights are like the word of God. So the reason that we get together and we read the Bible is because we believe that to get set in the right direction, we need to our sights to be correct. If I tried to shoot this bow and arrow without the sights locked in, then I would not hit a target. The, the strings and the power that's required when pulling this bow back, the power that's there and that's needed is like the Spirit of God. You see, because we could have our sights and know something about the Word of God, but unless we have a power behind us, then we will not be able to shoot our life into the target that's set out for us by God. So think about that. The Bible talks a lot about good works. 
Ephesians chapter 2 says, For we are his workmanship, God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Everybody say good works. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So good works are the evidence of real faith. Like motion is an evidence of real faith, motion in the right direction. Well, James, the half-brother of Jesus, writes to a group of Jewish Christians, and one of the things that he addresses with them is this issue of good works. You see, some of them believed that they could merely believe or confess or profess belief in Jesus as Savior without actually living lives filled with good works, and they'd be saved. And so what James is addressing with this little fledgling community that he writes to is that faith without works is dead. Look there at verse 17. Katie did a beautiful job of reading it, but verse 17 of James chapter 2. So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Katie read several verses. Let me summarize it for you. Talk is cheap. That's what James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26 says. Talk is cheap. It's easy to say that you believe something, but unless your actions demonstrate that you truly believe it, it may very well be that you don't actually believe. So if you believe, you get to see your life as an opportunity to demonstrate by your good works God's love in practical ways. And I want you to understand that any real faith in God will compel us to good works. So let me just, in the few minutes that I have with you, get you to think about why people who would claim to believe do not have good works. Three reasons. First of all, because there's no real faith. There's maybe no real faith. Faith. And it gets confusing in our day, in our culture, because we certainly live in a place in the world where people tend to operate by Christian type principles. My friend Heath Haynes, who's here, said a phrase to me once. He said, It's called Montrose Christianity, where people take a form of what the Bible says and they add it to some other belief system and then they really support that by their own ideas and their own humanistic kind of way of thinking. But that can confuse things. People can be living lives that look fairly moral, but not really have faith. A faith without action reveals there is no faith at all. Maybe. It's dead. Now, the group of people that James is writing to in James chapter 2, they're uh, Christians, Jewish Christians. And so uh, they believe but he's getting on to them a bit because he's saying some of you think that all you need to do is believe and you're not willing to, to, to consider your lives in its forward motion. They believe. You say, well, what do they believe? Well, they believe the good news of the Bible. That's why we come and we sing and we celebrate and we laugh together and we joy a time together because the Bible gives good news. John chapter 3, verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. It's talking about Jesus. Now, we can't really understand the good news unless we recognize that there's some bad news. Romans chapter 3, verse 23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So on your best day, you cannot 
do anything to earn God's grace and to earn God's favor and to be counted as righteous. But God has done something for you. That's the good news of the Bible. Romans chapter 6, verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is good news. Do you believe that? Some of you are new to the church or Maybe at some point in your past, you attended a church as a child and you got away from the church. Maybe something happened or you just lost your way. Maybe you've gotten confused as to what exactly you need to believe. Here's what you need to believe. You need to believe that your sin separates you from God, but God loves you so much, much he made a way for your sin to be forgiven and for you to enter into a right relationship with God. No longer do you have to be an enemy of God, but you get to be a friend of God. And then the rest of your life is an opportunity to demonstrate by your good works God's love in a practical way. Every Saturday morning, all summer, yesterday was the eighth Saturday we've done it. We go to a park near here, and we just show up for two hours. We set up a bounce house. We have crafts. We have games. We do giveaways. And people ask, why are you doing this? And I tell them every single time, we just want to show God's love in a practical way. They say, what? Yeah, we're a church in the neighborhood, and we just want to show God's love in a practical way. And they're typically like, just kind of stunned, and then they walk away like a church is actually doing something? There's good news. The thing about good works that you should know is the only kind of good works that are counted in the scripture as not good are those that you do to try to earn your salvation. You see, you cannot earn your salvation by good works, and I want to be very clear about that. You cannot, on your own, do enough good things to get God to to count you as righteous, which is why Jesus came. The good work of the cross and the resurrection makes a way for you to live a life that can demonstrate to others that God is loving, has done something for us through Jesus. You say, well, I don't know if I believe all that. I mean, that's good news. I don't know if I believe in that. I mean, I believe in God. I have faith in God. And so, you know, he exists. I get it. And that's enough. Let me tell you something. Merely believing in a God is not enough. It's not. The Gospels teach that, that even the demons believe in God. James says in verse 19, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. So merely believing that there is a God is not enough for you to be counted as righteous before God. What you must understand is your sin separates you from God and you place your faith in Jesus as the way to be reconciled to God. This is the good news that you get to believe. So it may very well be the reason that someone does not have good works or cares little about the good work that God has created them to do in this life is because that there's no real faith at all. Another reason that someone could neglect good works is because their faith is idle. You know what I mean by idle? Like there's potential there, but it's not doing anything. How many of you are into cars? Same people that own <laughs> compound boats. No. Did, did you know that the fastest car in the world is called a Hennessy Venom GT? This car 
in a recent occurrence, got up to 270 miles per hour. It can go from zero to 60 in 2.5 seconds. It has a seven liter LS7 turbocharged V8, twin turbo, V8, V8 engine, V8, a whole bunch of stuff. This car is fast. It cost a million dollars if any of you are interested in picking one up. It's the fastest car in the world. Now, can you imagine if somebody gave you this car, parked it in your driveway, and you never drove it? Wouldn't that be tragic? If I had this car, this is why I'm not buying one, because if, if I had this car, you know what I would do in it? I would go fast. I would use it. I would take every opportunity to catch every red light in the city, and I would rev the engine, and I would give the look. You know the look? You've done it. Even in your beater car, you've done it. You look at him, and you kind of go like that. And that light turns green, and vroom! It would be foolish to have a car with so much power and not use it. In the same way, if you truly do believe and you're unwilling to demonstrate good works as as a way of pointing people to God who loves them, it is foolish. It's wasted. There's power under the hood that God wants you to use. Maybe your faith has become idle. I think there's a couple of reasons that people's faith Uh, becomes idle, as I've observed it over the last 20 years of ministry. One reason is that sometimes people misunderstand the mission of God. Our faith can become idle if we misunderstand the mission of God. If we think the mission of God is merely to help us find a church, we like to go until we die so we can go to heaven, then our faith will become idle. That is so boring. We must understand that the mission of God is to reconcile people back to himself through the spreading of the good news about what Jesus Christ has done. If we do not care about that, then our faith will become idle and we are dead. I was recently in a conversation with somebody that attends a different church. In fact, it was a church that I worked at prior to this one. And they said to me, I just don't know what it is. I can't get anybody in my class to memorize Bible verses. And I said to her, because... I couldn't stop myself. I said to her, well, the reason is, is because they don't need to. Their faith is idle because they're not on mission. They think that what God is about is helping them find a church they really, really like with music that's singable and the preacher has got something funny to say. But if we understand the mission of God, our hearts will be gripped with a hunger for the Bible so that we have something to say while on mission. Our faith can become idle if we misunderstand the mission of God. And our faith also can become idle if we continue to disobey God in areas we know are sin. You know what I'm talking about. If we continue to disobey God in areas we know are sin and dishonor God, and we, we operate like this, well... I'm doing good over in this area, so this area is not really that big of a deal. What? If we continue to disobey God, it it makes us impotent in our faith. So so maybe someone has doesn't live in such a way that 
they think much about the good works that can demonstrate God's love in a practical way because of idle faith, no faith or idle faith. What, there, there's a third reason, and one that's really um, something I think a lot about. Maybe, just maybe, maybe, people, maybe you, me, we, we do not think much about the good works that God has called us to because we're unsure of the target. We don't really know which way we're supposed to be going. If I was to use this bow and arrow and wanted to shoot it, what would I need? A target, right? <laughs> Otherwise, I, I don't, I mean, I could, I could even have this and, and pull it back and, you know, and, and be ready for it and have my sights sent in. But if I, if I don't, whoa, if I don't, if I don't know, I think I just broke my finger. Um, if I don't know where, if I don't know where to, to point it, then it's, nothing will happen, right? Nothing. As your pastor and as leaders, we get the opportunity week in and week out to point you toward, towards the target. That's discipleship. That's the work of discipleship. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 says, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Here's your target. Here it is. Here's the target of your good works. Live in such a way that your good works point other people to God. That's the target. Live in such a way that your good works point other people to God as loving, as Father, as one who's made a way for our sin to be erased and has invited us into a peaceful relationship with him. That's a target for every person who's a child of God through their faith in Jesus Christ. You say, what's in it for me? Well, you get to see that your life is an opportunity to demonstrate good works so that other people see God as loving. And our good work is to point other people to God. It sounds almost too simple to be true. Well, I know what you're thinking. Okay, Russell, we get it. Good works are important. Faith without works is no real faith at all, or it's an idle faith. So what are examples of the good kind of good works you're talking about? Well, James actually gives us two big examples. One, he talks about Abraham, and the other one he talks about Rahab. These are people that are written about in the Old Testament, Verse 21 of James chapter 2 says, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his work. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. So according to Genesis chapter 22, God commands Abraham to offer his son Isaac as a sacrifice. This is really significant. Uh, You should know that in pagan religions during this time, it was fairly common for people to offer one of their children, and specifically their firstborn child, to whatever God they worship as a form of, or whatever God they wanted to as, as a sacrifice as a form of worship. Well, God speaks to Abraham and says, I want you to offer your son Isaac as a sacrifice. Now, this is really, really significant because Abraham had already been told by God that he was going to have a child and through that child was going to, be, going to become, was 
going to, uh, there were going to be many descendants. And from one of those descendants would be one who would come and be a savior. And so when God commanded Abraham to bind his son on an altar and sacrifice him, it required real faith. Well, the story goes in Genesis chapter 22 that Isaac is bound on this altar and an angel of God speaks to Abraham at the last minute and says to him, there's a ram caught in a thicket. You do not have to sacrifice your son. I've provided another sacrifice for the blood to be shed. So Abraham's good work was being willing to give up that which is most important to him for the purposes of God. I mean, this is a big deal. So when we talk about what are the good works that God wants you to do, certainly it means big sacrifice, big jumps, big steps of faith. It can mean that. For some of you, it may be finding a new job, finding a new place of getting involved in the world. Others of you, it might be a major shift in your financial priorities. For some of you, a good work that would demonstrate to others how loving God is and how God cares for people would be for you to obey him in the area of tithes and offering. A shift in your financial priorities would be like a big thing. Some of you, because of the way that you think about money, it would be like laying on the altar your own son. And maybe a big work for you would be adoption. Something as big and life-altering as helping rescue a child who's in the margins, has little hope for a promising future. You want to get involved in adoption. Maybe there's something big for you that's in your heart and God is saying, I want you to do this, but you've been hesitant to do it. What is that? I want you to know that just as God provided for Abraham in that moment, God will provide for you as you live out that good work. Well, there's another illustration here of Rahab. Verse 25 of James chapter two says, and in the same way was not also Rahab, she was a prostitute, justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. So this is a story talked about in Joshua chapter two. And the story is that the Hebrew people, the Israelites, were encamped in the valley opposite Jericho. And they wanted to get into Jericho where God had told them to go. And they were about to cross over the river and Joshua, their leader, as a final preparation, sent out two spies to investigate the military strength of those that live in Jericho. So as these two spies get there, Rahab notices them, hides them in her house. And then when the soldiers of the city come by her house looking for these two spies, she hid them beneath a bundle of flax on the roof. So James is saying here, here's an example of someone who by her good works puts evidence forward of her real faith. I mean, this is maybe something that's a little bit smaller. And this is an example of someone whose good works simply help along the mission of God. Smaller adjustments in your life. Maybe something like helping a friend in need. 
Maybe you have a friend or somebody that you know that has a need and a good work for you this week could be to simply help them. Maybe you know of an area in our city where there's poverty or people lack clothing and you want to get involved in that good work of demonstrating God's love in a practical way. If we merely have faith and are unwilling to do these kinds of good works, it may very well reveal we don't have faith, our faith is idle, or we don't know what the target is. What is a little good work that you could do? Where has God placed you? Frankly, I don't think that most of us will have to do something as radical and life-altering as being willing to offer our number one priority on the altar. But every one of us get opportunities every single day to do little good works, to demonstrate God's love in a practical way. How are you at seeing those things and taking advantage of those opportunities? How are you at that? Are you too busy for it? Are you spread too thin financially for it? Or you know you'd like to help somebody, but you can't because your cable package is too expensive. You know what I mean? How are you at identifying the little needs around you and helping meet those needs? Not just to help them for the sake of helping them, but to help them see that God loves them and cares for them. How are you with good works? I want you to think about that. I want you to think about your life as being set in a bow with the power of the Holy Spirit, with the precision that the Bible gives, moving forward towards the target of pointing other people to God. You say, what's in it for me? You get to see that your life is an opportunity to demonstrate the good works and show God's love in a practical way. Now, as we know, we think about this idea of good works Uh, certainly we as a church have a good work. When I think about discipling you and helping you to see the good works that God has set out for you and has provided for you, I actually think more often of the good work of us as a church. What is our good work in this neighborhood? God has given us this wonderful place. What is our good work? Well, there's several things we could say about this, but the good work of this community of faith is is going to flesh out by being a part of planting churches in neighborhoods and strengthening churches that are being planted in the neighborhoods. We believe that the good work that God has called us to is being, in a loving way, incarnational with the gospel. In other words, living out our faith in such a way that it's more than mere mental assent to two or three things about who Jesus says he is, but it's a kind of faith that plays itself out in good works. And we as a church want to be about planting these little neighborhood churches inside the loop and all around the city. You say, this is a hard work. Well, it is. But we believe that God will provide everything we need. Let me close with this. John Wesley, you may recognize the name, lived during the 18th century or early 18th century. He was a very influential minister in England, and he's credited for the start of Methodism. It's interesting about his life because at his death, some described him in this way, the most loved man in England. The thing about John Wesley is he was 
more than just somebody that stood up and talked about faith. He was somebody that lived his faith. And he said these words, which I'd like to end on. He said this, do all the good you can by all the means you can in all the ways you can in all the places you can at all the times you can to all the people you can as long as you ever can. Let's pray together. Lord, we have confessed things about you today. We've said we believe things about you, most of us. And God, I pray that as we think about what's in it for us, that we would we would see that we have an opportunity every day by our good works to demonstrate your love in practical ways. I pray, God, that as these men and women go from this place to their neighborhoods and back to work this week, that they would notice opportunities, notice places where they could demonstrate a good work to reflect your love. God, we need you. I thank you for the good work of the cross and how you did something for us when we didn't deserve it. And God, so we want to live lives in response to that, God. Just with your head bowed, would you reflect for a moment on the passage of Scripture? First of all, Do you realize or do you remember a time when you ever really placed your faith in Jesus as Savior? Has that ever really happened to you? Your good works cannot earn you salvation. Jesus has earned it for you. If you have not yet placed your faith in Jesus as Savior for the forgiveness of your sins. And you can do that right now, just in your heart, where you sit. Just tell God, you recognize, I recognize I'm a sinner. I'm separated from you, God. I accept what Jesus did for me by dying on the cross. And I also accept the new life that comes because Jesus was raised from the dead. For those of you that are in here that do believe, what good work is God calling you to? How will you demonstrate by your good works God's love in practical ways? Is there a need in somebody's life that's around you? Is your heart stirred for this issue of poverty in our city? homelessness? Is your heart stirred to do something about those that do not get the opportunity that most people do? What is the good work that God is calling you to? I charge you in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, to go, to do those good works. And in doing that, demonstrate God's love in practical ways.